Okay, it's Andrew here. In this episode, you'll meet Jerry. Tell them about your key. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I meant to frame with me tonight, and we didn't. I didn't mention to Andrew. There, I have a key that belonged to that was used in Willowbrook. That was used in one of the rooms in Willowbrook. Okay, a key that nobody has does has would look at and say, "Well, what kind of key is this?" And they were taking go. You can go through one of these doors, and then when the key would not fit in one of these doors, why? Because that was a key. That took me out of all the work. I always tell my wife, let that key stay right there. That key is not to go nowhere, you know. So you know how when you're scrolling down your social media feed and you come across some article from Psychology Today or some other site that offers an interesting perspective on society or the way our minds work? Or perhaps one of those quizzes that tell you which character in The Lord of the Rings you're most like? I've never wasted my time with that one. I'm pretty sure I'm a hobbit. Well, let me share one from CNBC for you titled, Here's What Making Your Bed or Not Reveals About Your Personality. People who make their bed tend to be adventurous, confident, sociable, and high maintenance. Meanwhile, people who don't make their beds tend to be shy, moody, curious, and sarcastic. Jerry makes his bed in the morning. And yes, he's adventurous, sociable, and confident. And a little high maintenance. But it did something for him that CNBC didn't think to include in the list of benefits. The habit of making your bed can save your life. In this episode, you'll find out how. And you'll find out if I make my bed. Okay, I don't. My wife usually does. I also traveled to Brooklyn to visit Jerry and his lovely wife, Nikki, at their apartment as they helped me tell the story. I would love to know the story of how you guys met. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness, yeah. Oh, goodness, Monsieur. You're listening to Belonging Together, an orientation to do for one's work, guided by stories. Let's do it. Jerry was born in Brooklyn in the 60s with a mild developmental disability and was placed in Willowbrook State School, the place you learned about in Episodes 1 and 2. Go listen if you haven't yet. In those episodes, I highlighted the power of mindsets and expectancies and shared about how the mindset that people with disabilities are innocent victims, objects of pity, and are sick patients are among the major mindsets that led to the conditions of mental institutions. Another negative mindset that existed then and still exists today is that people with disabilities are incapable of participating in community life. Jerry talks about this here. In March of 2018, I did a live interview with him at Church of the City during their city renewal series. Like when I came here to do this speech, a lot of people in my residence said, wow, a speech? We never known anybody here to do a speech. Amidst a lot of underestimation, Jerry continuously surprises many at what he's capable of and offers what he has to others. He goes on. Well, if I'm here tonight, which I am here, I'm a voice for them. I'm a voice for them. Welcome them. 
make them feel that they are loved. So let's start from the beginning. So Jerry, um, just just uh, starting from the beginning of your life, uh, being placed in Willowbrook, can you share with us how you uh, you went from being in Willowbrook State School to getting out of Willowbrook State School? Well, there was a lady that, um, she was a staff that used to work there. Her name was um, Mary, I mom Mary. Um, she was a staff that worked there. And she saw me for the first time, and when she saw me, she not only saw a, a child, but she saw um, somebody that God can just use and God can just work, you know, do wonders for. A building made for 4,000 ended up taking in nearly 6,000 residents. Wards were overcrowded, bed to bed. Many are unclothed. Uh, during the day, many pacing back and forth. And I won't go on here because we talked about it at more length in the previous two episodes. But I remind you of the environment here a bit, you know, not to be Debbie Downer. I do so to make the point that it would take a very special person and special circumstances to see potential in one person among the crowds. So here's Jerry in a ward, maybe around six years old, and the nurse sees him. And... And I was um, doing something early that morning. I was, um, she saw me making up a bed, making up my own bed, and she said, wow, you know, this is tremendously, uh, you know, somebody my age that knew how to make up their own bed. When a lot of people on that ward that were about my age did not know how to do. And she said, wow, there's something special about him that I, I see in him. She saw in me. I didn't see in myself. So Mary sees something in Jerry. Something, as Jerry just stated, that he didn't even see in himself. Nikki, what are you? Why is not much discrimination against the patients at Wilbrook? Whatever happened to you is not your fault. It's nothing, you understand the question? Whatever happened to you mm-hmm. is not your fault. It's not ever, and it seems to be a lot of discrimination against you guys. You, whatever happened to you guys at Wilbrook, it's not, it's not something you brought on yourselves. Mm. Right. So, Nikki, when you say stigma around Willowbrook, what are some things you've noticed about that? Um, I didn't know what Willowbrook was. She was like, getting to the States, like I said, I did not know what Willowbrook was. I think that's another thing that she has kind of against you. Mm. Okay. Who, who is this? <clears throat> My mother. Oh. Yes, okay. And like I said, you know, I did not know. I did not, I did not excuse me, give it. Mm-hmm. I could care less what, you know, because I had been through crap, I been my, my disease, people have judged me about my illness. Mm-hmm. There was a blood disease, jump, but I don't, you know, I got to know for who you are, what you are, I don't care where you came from, mm-hmm. where you came from. Right. That's, please nice. give me, that's, I, that's why I find it so funny, please forgive me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, you, so you're, you're, making, you're making the connection about, mm-hmm. about like, if, if somebody went to Willowbrook, that means they would know that that person has a disability. Exactly. Right? And so it's the stigma of perhaps. Andrew, sorry yeah. to cut you guys off. As Nikki and I are getting caught up in this interesting and intense discussion, Jerry's a little distracted. What does this mean? I need to learn about my phone. This means someone is trying to send me wretches. Yeah, somebody texted you. His phone keeps beeping. He's getting text Thank messages. Technology, right? It just, yeah. it can be so nice, but if you don't yeah. know how to use it, you don't know how to use it, you like. Then how are you? How are we supposed to do? Yeah, but it just means it's a text message. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Slight diversion. So back to the story. 
So amidst the stigma that's attached to people living in Willowbrook, as Nikki was just talking about, the first thing Mary notices in Jerry is a simple task. But as we discovered earlier, that simple task is associated with people who are adventurous, confident, and sociable. So with this on the forefront of her mind, it's likely that the mentality that someone like Jerry is an innocent victim, for example, would be debunked. Someone like Jerry could easily be lost, as many were, and underestimated, as many were. And Jerry shared, some were saying they didn't even think he could make that speech. And these problems are very real, and many face this type of resistance daily. But Mary sees Jerry in a way that no one else sees him. What happens next? Well, what happened, she spoke to the staff there. She spoke to the people that were in charge, the executives and everything, the vice president and everything. And she said, I would so much love, you know, to take him out of this environment and show him that there's a better environment for him, you know. So what she did, she she offered, she asked permission to take me home for a day. She took me home for a day. She couldn't take no one spend the night. She took me home for a day. And the most thing what she did, um, that I love, that what she did, she took me on out to the zoo. You know, we all love going to the zoo. I'm still on the day I'm going to tell her I'm going to the zoo. So she took me to the zoo, and we had such a tremendous time. So the animals and everything, and then after that, we, we, we sat down, we had lunch, you know. She told me, you say, oh, you're eating like a little bird, not eating that lunch, you know. So, So Jerry spends the day outside of Willowbrook, gets some lunch, goes to the zoo. What a day. And it gets even better. So, and then after that, not only that, she she also took me to a house. She took me home with her. So I, I went, um, I was um, at her house and I, I was sitting, I was playing outside in the yard, the back then we had backyard, we were able to play. If we didn't play down the street, you playing, you know, either played in your yard, we played out, you played in, in the backyard. So I was playing in the backyard. And there was intention with this outing. Mary had an agenda. She invites him inside and wants to ask him something. And she, I came inside and she was cooking, and back then, moms cooked, you know, they cooked. What's the number of restaurants in right now? Moms cooked back in the days. So she brought me in, and she, um, she asked me, she asked me, she said, how would you like to come and live with us, you know? And I was thrilled. I was so excited. So Jerry's life was about to change dramatically, but not just yet. Jerry had to go back to Willowbrook because she could only take him out for the day. You know, I was so excited. I didn't want to go home that day. She wanted, I didn't want to go. She had to take me back to Willowbrook that evening. Now, Jerry's cheerful tone here is because his life has come so far since the days of living in the institution. But there are many stories of the pains of children leaving Willowbrook for short trips to see their families and then having to return. Here's one example that captures the feeling of the time. In the book called Willowbrook Wars, there are stories of residents leaving for short visits and the drama of when they have to return. Quote, After Paula enjoyed lunch with her family at a Brooklyn restaurant, sensing it was time to return, Paula would begin to sob as they drove back over the Verrazano Bridge to Staten Island. 
the sobs turned to moans and grew louder and louder. Her eyes brimming with tears would return Paula to the attendant and make their way home. And so Jerry had to go back that evening. Think of the contrast. Good food, a visit inside a real home, a trip to the zoo, and now back to a place where Robert Kennedy is known for saying the conditions were, quote, less comfortable and cheerful than the cages in which we put animals in the zoo. But Mama Mary fought hard and got him out. And this is no small feat. There's a lot that goes into this. How did she do it? Yeah. And so she went she went through all the red tape, as you say, yeah. to yeah. to adopt you. Yeah, she adopted right? me. She adopted me from Bolivar. And um she she bought me she bought me she went through all the proper channels and because she had the permission and everything from the um, staff there and from the, the vice the vice president of Bolivar Canada. Yeah. And um she said, um and I was um he was brought into her home. What a change that must have been. A bedroom, a kitchen, a backyard, neighbors. All of which was a fairy tale life behind the walls of an institution. But more so, a mother to take him in and provide love, safety, and belonging. There are certainly wide open doors for Jerry, but similar to others who leave a place like Willowbrook, it had its challenges. The service system outside the four walls of the institution need to be prepared as well, and in Jerry's case, they were not. Jerry goes in more detail about this when I interviewed him at Hope for New York's Disability Workshop in uh, May of 2018. That um, even though I was uh, adopted and moved to left this place, but it was a while before I started public school. Um, it took it took a long time because um, they saw where I was from, and it, it they tried to say, "Well, we we don't know this person's from Willowbrook. Was from Willowbrook. We how can we fit him into the fit him into the school? Where there's a lot of kids that are not his level." That are not, you know, level. So this is 1972. At that time, New York State deemed all children with IQ quotients below 50 to be incapable of education, and there was no requirement to accommodate people like Jerry in, in the school system. You fall below an IQ of 50, either stay home with no schooling or go to an institution, unless you can afford specialized private schools. The same year Jerry is adopted and moves into the neighborhood, there was a congressional investigation that revealed that 1.75 million Americans with disabilities were receiving no education. 200,000 were institutionalized, and an additional 2.5 million were receiving a substandard education. So in 1975, the Education for All Handicapped Children Act, which mandated that all public schools with federal dollars had to have accommodations for special education options. But even up through the 1980s, there were so many holes. Students were not getting the education that the act was supposed to enforce. Many never received what are known as individualized education programs. So this is also common. Even to this day, the struggle of where to place people in the educational system. It's a very complicated issue to tackle. There's a broad range of disabilities, and there's a long history of getting it wrong. So what did they do about Jerry not being in school? 
Well, this is the beauty of the power of family and relationships, and it makes the point of how there really is no replacing them. So what they did, I stayed home for quite a while, but thank God, by the grace of God, I had a person at Willowbrook. She was a school teacher. I never did tell you, she was a school teacher. And she came and she gave me, uh, being that I was not able to start school right away, she brought me, she came over to the house where I, where I moved at, you know, where I lived at, and she came with a lot of books. You know, wow. that, yeah, yeah, she came with a lot of books. And believe me, I had enough to last me until I started school, which was a little bit after that, you know. But um, yeah. Mama married me, so I stayed busy, you know. Yeah. And I stayed busy, yeah. Let's find a place with good times, good times. And growing up on Leffert's place, Jerry slowly started to experience a childhood most of us are familiar with. He made a friend in the neighborhood. When I was outside, because I met friends while I was around here. I, I never forget a person that I met while uh, coming up that lived next door from me. And his name was Donald. He was, a, he, was a, oh, he was the first child friend I ever met when I first came around there. First child friend I ever met. Our growing up was, oh man, wow, did we have fun. We had fun. I remember one, there was his, the, the lady that was taking care of him, I guess, was his mother. And she said, um, your, first your enemies, first your friends, and after that your enemies. First your friends, and after that your enemies. You know, all their friends now, but they'll be fighting later on. And that's how we were. But we were friends. He was my best friend. He was the first person I met when I came on Leopard after coming from Willowbrook. So this is the point where things are looking good for Jerry. Family, neighbors, education, friends. Similar to the way negative roles can close doors of opportunity for people, positive roles like son, student, neighborhood friend can open the doors for greater opportunities. Jerry's life exemplifies this. So share, share uh, about what, what is your life right now? Oh, my life is wonderful. <laughs> um, I have a beautiful wife, Nikki McCord. <laughs> um, we've been married for this, well, this was maybe two years, but this, um, in May, it's coming to make it three years. Wow. Three years for me is like, like a bunch, but it's, you know, to... Her means a lot, I'm saying. Her means a lot, and she's wonderful, I'm saying. I thank the Lord for her. I would love to know the story of how you guys met. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness, mercy. Yes. Oh, goodness, mercy. Oh. Well, I'm just yawning. <laughs> Your yawning has nothing to do with the story being boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, or maybe it does. I don't know. Oh, goodness um, We. Oh Lord, how about myself? When I when I went to um, I first was first. So here, Jerry is describing his supported group home. 
and the discovery of a new possible apartment that he could live at in uh, Park Slope. He describes the first day visiting the building. And the first day, I had to do a visit there. I had to do like a overnight visit or, or you know. Or. The apartment upstairs was not available for me to go to. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, so we couldn't go upstairs because upstairs was locked and I don't think the staff was in, you know, nobody was there in the apartment. So, Nikki and her roommate, okay, had let me in, had let us in. And I sat in the apartment until the apartment upstairs was available for me to go up, for us to go up and look at. That's what we had to do. Mm-hmm. So I sat in the apartment. So you had some time to kill. We had some time to kill. So I get to meet Nikki and I get to meet her roommate, Roseanne. So I'm looking at Nikki, and I'm mostly at the t- all the time I'm there. I, I got my mind, my eyes on her, and my mind is like kind of focused on her. You know who she's all, what she's all about, and everything. Uh huh. You know. <laughs> you know. That's great. And like I said, I, yeah, at that time I had no idea it was gonna wind up where we're at today. Amazing. No idea. Nikki, what's your perspective? <laughs> you, you were at this. You were at this residence before Jerry came. Yes. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, but got Jerry got there. He was. I don't know. I mean, I had no thought idea, but it says that Jerry. When he got there, he was a little pest. Jerry would call, Jerry, every 10 minutes, Jerry's calling me. Jerry would leave for work. He's down the block. Hi, Nikki, it's Jerry. Hi, Nikki, he's bothering me every 10 minutes. I this person. He was like, white or nice? <laughs> okay, I mean, this wasn't my goal to be married. This wasn't my goal to be married. Uh-huh. You know, it was, I mean, I don't know what God's will was for me, at least mm. at this point in my life. Mm, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He'd call me every 10 minutes. He, he doesn't, I don't know how to cook, Nikki. Could you help me with cooking? I mean, goodness mercy, Jerry's like, Every ten minutes, every ten minutes, every ten minutes. Did you really need help, or were you just trying to? Get he her didn't. Attention? He didn't know how to do anything. I, yes, I, I needed help, oh, and just um, I just. I had to help with his laundry. I had. I had to cook. I had to help everything. I had to brush his teeth. And I had to. I I guess I just go. I started going attached. I had to get out of the subway. I had to keep coming home down the block. Okay. <laughs> and did, did you oh, did you uh, uh, find it endearing, annoying, annoying. sweet, annoying? Annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, somebody for five minutes. I'm down the block. I had to come out the door on the phone every five minutes. Well, well how would you think it? Maybe a little annoying, but if I had a crush on this person, or if mm. I found this person attractive, <laughs> perhaps it would be a different experience. I'm not, so, so I'm not used to it, that's the whole thing. I'm not used to all this attention. Okay. I'm an only child, I'm mm. not used to all this attention. So mm. okay, it's kind of like a little annoying at times. So it was, yeah. Mm. She was, um, she was sort of hard to get. Um, I see, I see, yeah, I see what yeah. you're saying now, Jerry. But, um, I... But oh, you won her over eventually. Yes. Once institutionalized, 
gets adopted, goes to homeschool, then public school, makes friends, gets married, and... Yeah, and, and earlier today when I met you, uh, I had the privilege of meeting some of your colleagues at IHOPE Academy, where you're currently working. Oh, yes, yes. Um, they're wonderful people. We work with children with special needs. Um, at first, when I started working with these kids, um, I had to get used to it. Like I, Because I'm mostly a work with the kids that I work with, but mostly kids that I knew had, that ran around and run around and jump and, you know, and had what the kids had worked. But these kids that I work with are special needs children. They're needs, they're children that are bound with wheelchairs and they want to speak. They have a machine that talks for them, that teaches them how to, you know, say their words and everything. Wonderful to work with. And you wouldn't be surprised if people absolutely love him then. They gave me the tour and showed 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 me where he uh, does uh, readings to the children. Um, and I mean, he's, you know, he's just an incredible gift everywhere he goes, as you can imagine. Um, so in the past, when you and I have had conversations, you would say that if someone came up to you several years ago and said, your life would look like this when you become an adult, you said that what would you do if they told you? I would completely laugh at them and I would say, no, this is not, no, that ain't me, you know, that ain't gonna happen, you know. Yeah. But it's amazing that God sees what ahead of us that we cannot see, Yeah. you know, and he saw, yeah. he saw what was ahead. As Jerry reflects on his life, and imagines what Mary would think of him now, he said. To my mind, I was making up my bed this morning, and I say, wow, this is what had this person thinking that I did not belong in Willowbrook. They saw me, and if they was alive, God rest their soul, they would be able to say, I saw him make up his bed. A little child was able to make up his bed all by himself. I love what Andy Stanley says. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Go deep rather than wide. Go time, not just money. And for Jerry? Our name was Mary Jane, but I call her Mama Mary. And you might be wondering about Jerry's biological mother. Let me say something. My mother, right, right, biological mother. Okay. She says, she always said, um, she always said that, um, she always said, you know, um, I'm so glad, I'm so glad I, I put you in, and, I, 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 you know, I replace you where, where you where you where you was at, you know you turn out to be a, a beautiful person. Uh, you know you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this, you're doing that. But she didn't know. Well, Lord rest her soul, she's gone now. That's what I'm talking about. My biological mother. Yeah. She didn't know the what really took place. Yeah. And she did not know what I was spared from yeah. while being out there. Yeah. Yeah, Jerry was spared from disease, trauma, and quite possibly death itself. As we learned from hearing Jack's story in episode one, family is a lifeline for people in these circumstances. 
but many people don't have the support of their family as they need. And we learn that from Tony's story in episode 1 and 2. And we learn that again here with Jerry's story, but also... Where does your mom live? She's in Florida right now. Yep, Florida. She's in Florida. Okay. How often do you see her? Uh, not that often, like I lived last year. We went to go see her. Our thing is she does not... I don't think it was She weird. does not... Her thing is that she's a perfectionist and she's someone who does not accept things. Yeah. She's not to come to reality with things. It's been hard for her to... What's the right mm. word? I have been... I've done a well for most of my life, and I think when I became ill with my SLE lupus, at 15, she was hard for her to accept it, and when I became epileptic, she didn't want to, she didn't want to accept it either. She was like, like a wall that came over her, and she still does not want to deal with it. I mean, I now, now she has been, thank God, she's kind of been helping me with the illness. She's kind of stepping in. She's helping me, helping me with the nurses that are helping me with my condition. And she's helping the nurse, you know, step. I think is going to the point where she knows that it's a reality now. Yeah. She's come to full acceptance right now. I mean, she's not the same person she was 20 years ago. Yeah. Nikki was born in the Bronx. And as an infant, she went to live with her grandmother in Trinidad. Growing up, she went back and forth between the Caribbean and New York, as Nikki describes it. One year I live in the Caribbean, one year in New York, one year in the Caribbean, one year in New York, back and forth. But when she was 13, she started having seizures. At that point, she had to stay in New York to care for her health. She's a little shy at first, but when you allow her the space to open up, she has profound and touching wisdom to share with us. I remember you had some really good things to say, actually, when you came that one time to see Jerry speak. You chimed in, and you were talking about church. She came to the presentation that Jerry made and the one that we've been listening to. Yeah, I think you you do feel, um, if you're not, what's the right word, um, if you are, to say, you don't don't feel like a part of the church, you know, how should I say, you don't, how should I say, you are, if you're not, which of all you, can't really perform, I should just, if that's the right word. You're not outgoing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not outgoing. Um, he, he or she, you know, they, they're not, you know, they, they, they don't have a high education, mm-hmm. you know, like I do. They don't have a high education like this fellow, this person do. They're not all about, um, you know, reaching higher up, getting a, reaching a goal. At our Do For One Info sessions, we teach about how in Western society, we value wealth, beauty, talent, power, influence. And as Jerry just said, higher education, you know, high, high achievers. Not bad things in and of themselves, but when we obsess over them and they become the main qualities that we deem as valuable, those who cannot readily provide those qualities go overlooked. And so in social environments, like church, there are many unspoken social norms. And often when you fall outside of those norms, you can feel misunderstood, ignored. I think that gets lost in church if you're not socially out there. For example, we're not out there socially, and I think that gets lost also in the church because you're not physically out there, you're not spiritually out there. We kind of get like thrown to the background also. I realize that in church, you know, because you're you're out there, out there, a lot of people, you don't realize that a lot of people kind of ignore me. It's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, like, for example, they ask you about me, mm-hmm. but they don't ask me. 
I don't hear like you asked told you everybody asks you about me, mm-hmm. but no one asks me. You, do you understand the difference? Mm-hmm. See a lot of people who are not out there physically. Mm-hmm. You, kind of, you do get thrown to the side. Right. right. I see a lot of people with disabilities the same thing. Yeah. What do you mean by out there physically? Like he's not out, out there, there physically. Spiritually. Like Jerry's out very there. outgoing, outgoing. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and you're, if you're, you're not, out if there you're not, chatting. Exactly. If you're not, if you're not active in the church. What's the right word? They're not caring but concerned. But I think once you're out there, out there, it's a little more. Am I making sense? Yeah. No, I, I, I totally track with you. So how? My question would be, how, how would you like to be approached at church? Um, how I like to be approached at church? Um, I mean, I'd like. I'm not sure how I would like to be approached at church. Let me think. Um, you like to be in the social, social circle more. That's the right word. Mm-hmm. I like people to be concerned about me a bit. I mean, uh, for example, I people, you know, I like people to ask me how I'm genuinely concerned about me. Not just ask me because they, you know, I think a lot of them ask me because of Jerry. You know, no one has got to know me as me. No one has asked me how you doing. What's your interest and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. No one knows anything about me. And the last thing is, I think some people see you and define you by your illness. Well, she's the one who's sick. I thought people would have done that. You know, she's the person that's always sick. That's, that, that's been done to me a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. That's what was always sick, and they define you by your own, that, that they define you by your condition. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a very big issue. Mm-hmm. They don't define by who you are, they define you by your condition. That's the one who's always sick, you know, stuff like that. That's, yeah. that's been done to me mm-hmm. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Do you think of yourself as sick? Um, sometimes I do. I mean, I try to get out that, I try to get out that, you know, that mindset. Yeah. Because as I've been still such such a bill for such a long time, I try not to yeah. do that to myself. Yeah. So when I find myself in conversations like these, I ask questions out of my genuine interest and understanding. I've come to realize that most people don't mind you asking honest questions. Honest dialogue, even at the risk of sounding ignorant or foolish. It's often the only way forward when it comes to building relationships and coming to an understanding. So when advocating for others, take the time to deeply understand them. Take the time to see what's best in them. Help others to see what's best in them. And help them to see it in themselves, too. And don't be like me. Make your bed in the morning. So as we bring this story to a close... I want to personally thank Jerry and Nikki for sharing their story so openly with us. I spent the afternoon with them, and we shared stories. And we were confronted with modern technology. It's like what you say about the stigma. Hi, this is Jerry. We're talking to a staff trying to figure out their Wi-Fi password. Hi, Jerry. Hi, how you doing, buddy? Um, I have one of my, um... Oh, boy. Define their relationship. If you'd like to write to Jerry and Nikki, send me an email and I'll be sure to give him the message. Andrew at doforone.org. And let me also say that I'm indebted to Dr. Wolf Wolfensberger and his colleagues for many of the ideas presented in this episode. And I'll leave more resources online wherever you're listening if you're interested. Also, special thanks to Autobote for allowing us to use your music. It was the first track you heard featuring Rachi. We'll post a link to his music wherever you're listening. In the next episode, you'll meet Devin. And 
I was reading an article lately of how police violence is a is really a problem these days and why these cops need training to treat um, special need people, especially um, others with autism, especially, especially myself. As he shares his story, he'll tell you about autism, race, and food. Yeah, but the memories of good food are bar mostly barbecue food. I like barbecue hamburgers, barbecued hot dogs, especially barbecue, especially steak, pork, and barbecued chicken. Talk to you soon. In New York City alone, there are over 900,000 people with some kind of disability. Negative perceptions, segregation, loneliness, and neglect are common experiences for many. I think before even thinking about ramps and elevators, I think just an openness to invite a person with a disability somewhere, I think that speaks accessibility in greater volumes than having a ramp legally somewhere just for the sake of it. You know, because we can have a ramp or an elevator, but if there's never anyone to use it, then there's really no point. Do For One promotes stronger communities and richer lives by bringing people excluded from freely given support into healthy and lasting relationships. Friendship, spokesmanship, social support, and social change can emerge when people's gifts and concerns are brought into the center of community life. Visit doforone.org to learn more. Yeah, but the craziest thing that I do with my hamburger is put um, all sort of um, sauces on there.